Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Now a show that's going to give you the truth about the biggest epidemic of our times. We're all a little crazy. Welcome back to another episode of We're All a Little Crazy. I'm your host, Eric Keeson, along with co-host Theo Fleury. Unfortunately, Darren is on vacation, which, Theo, we, we say that a lot, don't we? Permanent vacation. No, we give him a hard time. He's, he's a, <laughs> such a good giving guy to this space. Um, you know, at the cross-section of mental health current events, we had some pretty for- unfortunate news this week. I think something that shocked the uh, hockey world, the world of the NHL, the world of NCAA hockey, the world of Boston hockey was a loss of uh, 31-year-old Jimmy Hayes. Uh, it happened on August 23rd. Uh, that's when we got the news. So Jimmy, just a little background, wins a national championship with with BC. So total Boston guy, grew up in Boston, um, beloved in the area. Gets drafted by by the Maple Leafs. We'll let that go. Um, but ends up playing for the Blackhawks, Panthers. Gets to play for his hometown of the Bruins, the Devils. So I've got two kinships personally to him there. I, I was with him with the Panthers before I had my mental health crash uh, back in 2014-15 was the season. By the way, his dad was a salt of the earth, amazing guy. Uh, would watch games with him all the time up in the lounge there. Younger brother Kevin still plays in the NHL. Um, so he's got a son, Mac, that was literally just born months ago. I mean, when you think about the story, just the tragedy is awful. Uh, the evening prior to his death, he's out with his wife, some friends. They're they're celebrating um, the birthday of his other son, Bo, his second birthday. And uh, just news comes out across Twitter, across all news channels that – He's tragically passed. And you say, how does this happen to a 31-year-old? No news is released. And and the background I want to give there is, you know, in the world of sports, as we're hearing more and more stories about mental health, this is off the heels of Vincent Jackson and and his loss. And, you know, what is the word that comes out when Vincent Jackson is lost is, you know, no foul play, right? And and then there's there's nothing else that's shared and you know, through the rumor mill, things leak out like, oh, well, you know, he was arrested under a DUI. He he had addiction issues, right? Then then you had the Tyler Skaggs situation with the Angels. Um, similar type of situation, no foul play, um, found in his hotel room. And so, you know, it's it, it, this is a narrative we've heard a lot before. And, and what was released after the autopsy for uh, for Jimmy Hayes was – the OCME has completed an autopsy on this case. The cause and manner of death remain pending. An update is not expected for several weeks when toxicology testing comes back, which then obviously leads to this whole you know conversation happening. What could have happened to a 31-year-old? They're not saying it was a heart. They're not saying it was um, you know something that was like an aneurysm related, a, a sudden death in that way, and, and they're going right to the toxicology piece. So to discuss this topic, it also dovetails in a, in a, on a positive side of things in a nice way with a, a pretty uplifting promotion he and his foundation are working on. Uh, we thought the best guest for this week was was just a Stanley uh, Stanley Cup champion, but an NHL great, Kevin Stevens. You know, I, I remember him playing left wing, 91-92 wins cups with, with Mario Lemieux, friends of both Theo and Kevin together. Um and, uh, you know, the, the one, the, Kevin, the, the stat that I'm amazed by, by the way, as, as I introduce you here, the only player on both the 91 and 92 teams that plays in every single friggin' regular season and playoff game. <laughs> Talk about like a workhorse and someone who just plays through injury and, and makes it through every every single game is incredible. Um, 90 to 94 is one of the top scorers in the league that whole time. One of those years has 123 points. So, Theo, you'll smile. I think he's one of the few players who scored more points than Gretzky 
uh, that season. So just unbelievable. Now, as an Islander fan, I remember this particular situation, Patrick Division Finals. It's interesting to even say Patrick Division. Um, he goes and hits Rich Pilon, who himself was a big dude, and the hit was so hard, Kevin knocks himself unconscious. Falls to the ice. Unfortunately, his face took a beating from falling to the ice. Um, is given some pre- prescription drugs, which I'm not going to get into, Kevin. I'll, uh, on your end, allow you to get into it. But no one knows during that time that you've been given those drugs. You come back in 93, 94. You have a great season. You're traded to Boston, which is awesome for being a Boston guy. Uh, the, the unfortunate part about this is you played for the Rangers like Theo did. So <laughs> as an Islander fan, I, I always got to bring that up. And, uh, you know, it, it to, to have you on – Kevin having the Boston background um, and and the fact that you grew up there, the fact that you got to play there, I got to assume when you heard the news of the Jimmy Hayes passing and how tragic it was, it must have hit you like a ton of bricks. Fair assumption? The, the Jimmy Hayes thing was um, around here in Boston, and it really – you know, he's such a great guy. He's one of those guys, you know, I don't deal with him at all, but but he's one of those guys that uh, he's just a great guy, a fun guy to be around. His, um, like you said, his dad's all around town. You know, he's one of those guys that you, you can bump into anywhere and everywhere. And, and to have this happen, you know, we all know it's not like, you know, we're not going to sit here and speculate, whatever, but we all know. He's 31 years old. You know, he's, he's been, in, you know, me and Theo have been in the programs. He's been the programs you know things things happen to a 31 year old kid and um it's terrible so you know he's, he's such a great guy and young kids and you know what else is what else can we say you know what else what's there to really say it's just terrible terrible news you know and it's a terrible thing and it's you know it's our worst probably nightmare to see something like this happen because it's um it's no good and there's nothing you can you know nothing nothing we can talk about like i you know i know a couple other kids in this area too, in Boston, in the last um, four days, I've overdosed in the same area. You know, in the same type of things that the, that's happened. Twenty-five year old, twenty-four year old, and it's all the fentanyl. Everybody thinks it's a perk thirty, and you know, it's you know, everybody thinks it's something that is not. And then you know, these drug dealers are for thirty dollars. They're giving a kid a pill. They know that has a chance to kill him. You know, for thirty dollars. You know, that's sick. Think about, think about that. Kevin, you've been in, and Theo, please chime in here, because you guys know this space better than I do, candidly. I mean, I've, I've been in the mental health space for some time now, but in terms of the addiction space, which Theo's line is always addiction, mental health, suicide, um, you know, trauma, cousins living in the same house. So, so Kevin, you bring up um, fentanyl. So maybe, Theo, if you want to start, and then, and then Kevin, chime in, because you just mentioned it, like... Can you explain to everyone, Theo, when we talk about fentanyl relative to, you know, recreational drugs, what what is happening out there? We, we're here laced with fentanyl, but what is exactly does that mean? And then what are some of the outcomes we're seeing? Well, fentanyl is like the next level of, of opioid, right? You know, and it, it takes very, very small amounts of fentanyl to, you know, end somebody's life. You know, that's how powerful, that's how strong it is. And then if you're mixing it with alcohol or something else, then it becomes then it becomes fatal, right? But, so, but when you say fentanyl is an opioid, so to help everyone out there, uh, what might, you know, because Kevin's saying, and Kevin, please chime in too, Kevin's saying laced with fentanyl, some of these, like when someone's buying drugs for a small amount. So what is the core drug someone might be taking that then is laced with a fentanyl where they don't realize that fentanyl is even part of it when they're buying it? It could be in marijuana. It could be in, uh, uh, like, pills. It could be cocaine, you know? Like, it could be, yeah. So cocaine, pills, marijuana, all, all possible. And so someone can be, you know, an addict, but someone can also just be recreationally doing something, and I'm not, you know, condoning that either. But it, it doesn't necessarily have to be what we hear the theme so often. They were an addict. They kept going to the well. They kept going to the well. And and there's enough in your – you guys are saying the recreational 
sale of some of these recreational drugs that the fentanyl is enough to overtake someone's body and to, and to kill them. I, I know it is. I think I know Jimmy wasn't using drugs every day. I know I know that for a fact. And my kid works out with him. He works out with him the day day before this happened. You know, and um, he's not a guy that's out there doing. You know, he was he was he was trying to do the best he could do. And I think it was. Um, you know, as we know, I you know, like you say, we hate to assume, but we know, you know, in this world that we're in, that, you know, if you're in this world that me and Theo see and you see, right, it's, you know, you don't die at 31 years old without putting something in your system that was overpowered your body and killed you, you know, it's, it's and it's fentanyl. And that's, that's the thing. That's the only thing that's out there that's going to, that's going to kill him, you know, and, and he, he probably hadn't used it in a while, you know, and he, has a nice, he has his buddies over, he's having fun, it's a great day for his kids, having a birthday, you know, having a great day, and next thing you know, he doesn't wake up the next day, you know, that's kind of like, uh, that's a shock, you know, that's, that's, that's a shock to everybody that knows anything about him or anything about his disease. So, Kevin, again, you, you're saying it's not, not best to project, right, and, and I'm completely in agreement there, so, and, and I, as someone who's, so my addiction, Theo and I have talked about this many times, my addiction is work. It, it, would, it always was, right? That work kept me away from thinking about the trauma and the things that I had dealt with as, as a kid, right? So, you know, when, when, when we talk about drugs, I'm candidly not an expert in that area. And, and, and I want to be clear for everyone in terms of the possibilities, just because it's an important thing to discuss. What you're saying is even someone who is using in a way that's not a consistent usage, not an everyday usage thing. If they get a recreational drug that happens to have fentanyl in it, and almost even more so because they haven't been using consistently, it can overtake and overpower their body because that their body hasn't been used to it for a while. And then all of a sudden, bam, it can just knock you out. Is that is it fair for both of you? And fentanyl is so powerful that it comes in like small, small grains, right? So, you know, if you're buying it from a drug dealer, you're not measuring how much fentanyl they're putting in. They're just throwing it into a mix and then, you know, pressing pressing the pills. And then, you know, you don't know how much fentanyl you're actually getting. You know, you could get a, you know, a killer, a killer dose in, in one pill. And, you know, the, the fentanyl is so powerful and so strong that, you know, your body just can't handle it. And then, and then, you know, and then if you're adding alcohol on top of it, you know, it's, uh, it's scary. So, so alcohol, if you're taking recreationally and let's say you're, you're smoking marijuana or you're taking cocaine and then you drink and whatever the, the cocaine or the, or the marijuana is laced with the fentanyl, you're saying the alcohol along with it is just a deadly combination. Fair, fair yeah, comment I, there? I think I think it is, but I don't even think like the I don't even think you need the alcohol, right? right. Any, you know, that the fentanyl is so strong. Yep. Like, you know, for addicts, like one pill is not a lot for us, you know. Like for an addict or for someone that's out there using using pills or whatever, like, you know, once in a while, whatever. One pill pill is not, it doesn't work usually you know and like so jimmy's take whatever if he takes one of those and it's stuffed with fentanyl he's he's gonna die you know it's just you know his body's not used to it you know and it's like so what is the reason like again as someone who hasn't per what is the reason why a dealer laces anything with fentanyl right like the business person in you would say uh, okay is it is it that they want you to keep coming back and it's more addictive you get a better high from it what makes a drug dealer want to put something into drugs that you purchase that you weren't actually asking for. You know, you know what? I, you know what I get to say just on that is the real addict, the real addict, everyday user that's out there using wants fentanyl because it's okay. It's the stronger thing, right? It's the thing that's going to get him quicker to where he wants to get. That's the guy that's out there using every day. That's that's doing. That's an addict. That's shooting heroin. That's shooting fentanyl. Whatever he's doing, he wants that. You know, he wants that part because he doesn't have to get as much you know he gets higher quick or whatever the guy that's in stuck in addiction they want that so but the guy that's getting sober that's like trying to get sober and it's a dangerous it's a dangerous thing right they you know, it's a dangerous zone because you know if you're going to play around with it 
you can't you can't sustain that because it's too strong for you to use that fentanyl, you know, because your body's not used to it. So the guy that's but, using so, it every day. But in the actual purchase, Kevin, right? Because you, you have to get your drugs from somewhere. And so the, the person who's using every day wants it in there. But but if you're a recreational marijuana smoker or you're doing coke, which we're gonna get to the lifestyle of an NHL player in a second, but if if it's if it's just a casual use, is it, is it just a matter of circumstance that whatever dealer, either you or your buddy or whoever it is that got those drugs from, did, are they proactively asking for it, or is this is this such a common thing within drug dealing that it's always almost always laced with fentanyl right now? Well, you, you gotta really you gotta be you know I think what I've heard, I don't know if it's true with Jimmy. Whatever he he got something from friend but he he thought it was like you know his friend didn't give it to him someone didn't give him that pill thing it's, they thought it was a regular 30 milligram got it, out of got a it. prescription you know they didn't think it was like you know, and then and they, they look just like the regular pills they make them so they look just like them and um and that's a problem you don't know and most 80 percent of them now are fake you know 80 percent of the pills out there they say like you know unless you know someone that's got a bottle and then it comes right to you and he hands it to you you're playing with fire, you know. So basically what they're doing is they're getting all of the ingredients, like separate ingredients, and then they're they're making their own their own pills. Is that when you say so when Kevin was bringing up the 80% number are mm-hmm. synthetic. That's yeah. what you mean that's what you mean by it is is someone just bringing almost like a chemistry kit yeah. like yeah. and 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 making their own and that's how they're selling it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Scary. And so, and so they're adding fentanyl to the ingredient thing, right? And yep. when you mix it all together and then you start pressing the pills, you don't know how much fentanyl is in each pill. One pill could have, you know, a lot. The other pill, maybe not as much. So, you know, you're all, it's like you're playing Russian roulette, you know, really. So, and they're really cheap, right? It's a really cheap way. It's a really cheap way. And for these dealers to make tons of money because it costs them nothing to make this fake garbage, you know? Yeah. So, so if you're okay, I, I'm going to, I'm going to throw something out there that I'm going to say so that you guys don't have to say it and you guys can either agree with it. You could say it was different in your era or not. I've spoken with two current NHL players current in the last week since the Jimmy Hayes situation happened. And they put the stat at upwards of 90% of players are doing some form of recreational drug that are in the league right now, okay? As a fan, that scares the shit out of me. As a a mental health advocate, that scares the shit out of me. The, The consistent feedback from both of them was that the NHL is less concerned with recreational drug use. I'm trying to say that in the most politically correct way possible more concerned with performance enhancers in terms of testing and stuff like that. And so, you know, if you guys don't mind, take me through. I mean, Theo, you've been really open about, you know, what the league was like. Kevin, you and Theo played in a similar time frame, like right or, you know, same years overlapped. You played with so many of the same people. Take me through, if you don't mind, what, what was it like playing back in the late 80s through the 90s into the early 2000s? And what's it like now in terms of, you know, the usage rate with players? Because these guys are – they're playing a sport that is demanding, makes you have to come out three times a week, beat your body up. You got other people who are gunning for your spot on an everyday basis, guys coming up from from juniors. Um, it – you know, I, I'm assuming that that, that, that my the, the sources that are sharing with me are not far off – but if you guys don't mind taking me what it was like early back then to what it's like now. Well, <laughs> I don't want to just single out hockey because, yep. you know, uh, I always look at it as a societal issue. Okay. So alcohol is legal. Okay. And alcohol is one of the worst substances you can put in your body. You know, it's the probably close to, if not the number one leading. Uh, thing that that leads to cancer, drinking alcohol, because you you know it filters through your liver and your kidneys, and eventually you know your liver enzymes get elevated, and eventually 
you know, you're dealing with liver cancer or, you know, uh, some sort of stomach problem, stomach issue, right? So, you know, when alcohol uh, is sensationalized as, you know, this, this really cool drug, right? When it's probably the most dangerous and a big gateway drug to all these other drugs that people are taking, you know, I think, I think we're missing the point here, you know, and in Canada, you know, uh, cannabis stores are popping up on every corner of every street in Canada, right? If you get a license, people are, are jumping all over it. So, you know, um, this is a societal thing. It's not, it's not necessarily, you know, one entity who is sure. overdoing, sure. overdoing, you know, the recreational drug thing because, you know, uh, I see it everywhere. But so, Theo, when you, when making that comment, and Kevin, I'm interested in your thoughts on it. Is you're you're saying, and I I I'm the one. In fairness to Theo and Kevin, I'm the one who's bringing up hockey right now in the context of this story. Then, obviously, like we did last show, Theo, we're going to talk about it on its as its impact on society over overall. But those players who maybe share that ninety percent with me, it sounds like your feedback is. It's not necessarily prescription drugs or ninety percent of the population is using right. recreational drugs. So why right. and you're and you're you're throwing you're throwing alcohol in there as as one of those pieces of escape. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And, and, like first I, I identify first and foremost as an alcoholic. Because if I didn't drink, the cocaine didn't come, you know. The women didn't come, like all of that didn't come unless I took the first drink, right? So, you know, to me, the most dangerous chemical for me is alcohol, right? And nobody talks about that. Like nobody talks about that. Like that, you know, if you're drinking and you're a drunk, well, that's fine. That's fine. But alcohol has ruined more lives than any drug out there. You agree? I think alcohol is like, you know, it's because, you know, once you put alcohol, once you put anything, you know, marijuana, all these little drugs, they think they're these minor, the minor drugs are the things that don't really matter, but alcohol, marijuana, once you get that stuff in your brain, then for me, my, my problem is I want to go to the harder, like I, my brain's not working the same, I'm not thinking straight, I'm not able to process, you know, I just want to go, my brain says go now, and then, it, then it's for me, it's lights are up, you know, I'll go chase stuff that, you know, but that's me. And I don't think, you know, I don't know about deal, but the guys I played with, there wasn't a lot of, you're not talking, alcohol was huge. That was, that was huge. You know, and, and once you started doing cocaine, there was only a certain amount of people that could stay in the league and do that drug, you know, and play well. And, you know, there's not a lot because you can't do those, those, the cocaine. I mean, you know, I, I didn't, and the pills too, you know, it's it's hot, you know, you need them all the time, whatever. You can't do those things and be able to stay in the league. You know, because when I kind of, I went like seven, had seven great years. Then I got hurt and I got into the pills a little bit, then the cocaine. Then my, you could see my seven years went this way, you know, went down. But I hung on for seven years because I had a lot of good friends who wanted to see me stay in the league. You know, they wanted to see us, me do well, but I wasn't doing well inside because I, I couldn't. I couldn't process like you know. It all started with alcohol. So, so Kevin, let me ask you a difficult question, and and by all means, feel comfortable asking this, or answering this or not. Before before the event with Rich Pilon that I mentioned, right, with the with the Islanders back in in ninety four um, or ninety three, I think it was. Um, you you and Theo just mentioned that, that there's a lot of alcohol use in the league prior to the event that happened where. You, you have that much pain from your your face hitting the ice. Would you describe yourself from ninety to ninety ninety three ninety four before that happened as were you using at least alcohol in a certain way throughout the or or did your real use issues? So I mean, obviously, look, players drink like it, it, it's a recreational part of life. So I get that side of things. But would you say that the 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 pain from the injury is what caused more of the 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 proximity so to speak to the addiction or was there more heavy alcohol earlier on even before that incident happened no i i think um 
the thing right what happened right before i got hurt eric probably two months before i got hurt i never did a drug in my life so two months before i got hurt i tried cocaine i don't know why someone handed me something in new york city i really didn't even know what it was but i was out with the guys that i was drinking and i tried it so that was that was the first time I did a drug. I was 28 years old, you know, and I was, um, you know, I was in New York after a game, just like I was out with the guys and someone hit me something. I did it. And then, yep. then two months later, I got hurt, you know, in the playoffs. And so, so alcohol, I had never put anything really in front of hockey. I drank and I, I never drank like, but when the cocaine started to come in a little bit, there wasn't like overnight. It took a time. It took a lot of pain, but it started to over. I started to use it and it started to hurt, affect my play a lot. You know, alcohol didn't affect, I didn't, alcohol didn't affect my play before I got hurt. And after I got hurt and then I got the pain pills a little bit, but for me, it was the cocaine for the first three or four years, you know, and it was, um, and that affected the way I played and alcohol before that never did. See, that's so interesting for people to hear, Kevin. And again, I'm I'm you guys are educating me as we're going through this because it's not an area that I'm I'm so well versed in. So, and by the way, your story not so dissimilar. I've shared this with Theo and 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 um and and he's been open about it. Dwight Gooden, right? The the guy who famed pitcher for for the, the Mets, Cy Young Award winner in 85. You know, he shared with me that um he had never done drugs his whole life and then he wins Cy Young and that summer he's back in Tampa and someone just hands him it and he wasn't at a party even at that point he was just sitting on a couch and the feeling that he felt he made this he made this uh motion to me when he was telling me the story we were on video chat like this and he goes Eric he goes all of a sudden I just went from this to and now he's got a trauma history there, right? And 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 we'll get into that when we have Doc on with his with his his sister being shot and him watching it happen. But I think oftentimes it's just like you just described, Kevin. It's it's it being introduced to you. You're not thinking much of it. It's not like I want to be this thing called you know an addict. I I want to take this drug. It's like okay, within the 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 almost natural flow of you being out with friends you're in new york theo will certainly have some stories to share about playing in new york as well and some of the the the, the challenges that come along with that but i think that's that's so important for people here is you were just handed it you tried it it was two weeks before it was almost a perfect storm that it was two two two, two months or two weeks did you say before and then you know and then you start right from there when the when the when the when the prescription starts yeah and the funny thing about it was when i is that you talk about uh good that i had won two stanley cups in a row we're going for our third cup i'm scoring 50 60 goals a year i'm on playing with lemieux i'm playing on a great team a team that i loved going for our third cup and i decided to try cocaine one night like not knowing that it was going to affect me the way it affected me i just didn't think i was going to i thought i'd jump on the bus the next day and you know life would go on but you know it didn't happen overnight. Things didn't change overnight. But, you know, that, you know, like I said, I was in the top of the world. I was the first team all-star. I was everything I had going, and I tried that. And then, you know, then the, felt, the roof fell down slowly. You know, a lot of pain in the last seven years. The, the very first time I tried cocaine, it was, like, euphoric. It was, like, one of the best feelings I ever experienced in my life, right? And the thing about cocaine is... You, you think that every time uh, moving forward that you use that drug, that you're going to get that same feeling. So you end up chasing this this first time you've used it, and, uh, like, it grabs a hold of you, and, and, and it doesn't let go, right? It doesn't let go. And, uh, you know, for me, it allowed me to drink more alcohol. Right, because that's my number one thing is alcohol. So, you know, if I got too wasted and like, you know, all I need to do is like do one line of cocaine and I'm back, almost dead ass sober. Right, so so I could drink more. You know, so it is, uh, you know, it's a very slippery slope, and and uh, but it is a very quick uh, trip to the bottom of the gutter. So that that description, Theo, is really helpful, right? That you're chasing that high. So, so Kevin, the the natural question then becomes, 
if you tried it just a little bit before the injury happens, was it this perfect storm or the combination of you've been using the cocaine and the prescription drugs come at the same time that together that's what you got hooked on? Or was it the prescription drugs specifically and the cocaine wasn't even necessarily a part of it once you had the injury? Yeah, I have. This is funny because I didn't really know much about the pain pills. You know, I didn't really know anything about it. I knew like cocaine because I tried it and I've heard about it and whatever. But but it really when I was in the hospital, I kind of got open to the pain pills. I had to take them, you know, because I was in the hospital and I was hurt, whatever. I was there for a couple months. But when I got out of the hospital for the next uh, three years, I wasn't pain pills. You know, it was cocaine. You know, it was, um, which is, you know, sometimes people say, you know, thought it was just because the injury, you know, I'm going to be on the pain pills, whatever. But no, it wasn't. You know, it wasn't the pain pills. It was more of, because I had that feeling. I only, I might have done cocaine twice before I got hurt there, you know, and I, and I want to feel that. Like Theo said, I, I, that feeling of cocaine is like different than anything else, you know, and I never, felt like some something twitched in my brain which i didn't know was going to twitch and i and i liked the feeling you know and i wanted to feel that again and I, you know that's that's what happens when you're an addict you know i wanted to feel that i wanted that feeling again you know and i and i chased it i didn't do it all the time you know but it got to it got to be a problem i was doing it all the wrong times you know what i'm saying so so you're sharing kevin and and it's different than what i thought but it's 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 fascinating it's important because it's going to help a lot of people you, you're in the hospital they're giving you the pain pills you're saying when once you get out of the hospital it wasn't that you at least initially were were going back to the pain pills over and over again it was that high that you had from the cocaine before that you're then chasing back because your your face is in pain you're not feeling the same levels of feelings and emotions you want to be able to feel and you want to get back to that high that you had after you just went through this shitty awful situation where the rug got pulled out from underneath you i just like i just kind of like everything about the cocaine like like what it brought me what it made me do like you know just like the the action of it the kind of like you know the whole the whole thing it wasn't really just you know rich a bunch of cocaine by myself you know you know to be out in in that world and then you know and, and and run around it just 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 the whole lifestyle that cocaine brings was I was kind of attracted to which was bad you know yep but now you here's where you and Theo your stories intersect in an interesting way and I'm just I'm thinking of the chronology in my head right like this happens 93 94 for you Kev you know Theo's stories shared many times on this show you know childhood trauma leading towards Theo, yes, you said your gateway was, you know, uh, the alcohol first that then led to the cocaine and all that. You guys are are playing. I mean, Kevin, your your admittance into the substance abuse program with the NHL isn't until 2000. So you're talking about a, a six, seven year run where the league either doesn't know it or or maybe it's turning the other way or other players don't know it. I, I don't know what it is, but but do you like as a player in the league, how hard is it to cover that up so that the league doesn't find out about that? Like, I, the, I think that's what's fascinating to people is, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, I don't, um, I don't know how much I was hiding. Like, you know, the guys and stuff that they, they want to see you do well. They don't want to like, you know, they don't think a lot of stuff's going on. Whatever. They might think some, but a lot of guys don't say stuff, you know, so it's, they just want to see, you know, that's what they want the best for you. But, but I was in and out of treatment with the NHL, you know, I, I, I got in trouble a few times. So I wasn't like, I wasn't not involved in treatment. I wasn't not involved, but you know, I didn't really, um, you know, I, I didn't, for me, I, I didn't really want to be get sober, you know, I, I didn't. I, and, and, and for me staying sober, being sober is, is uh, I have to work at it a little bit. And, and when I was playing hockey, I didn't want to work at it. You know, I wanted to be, I just wanted to play hockey. I didn't want to worry about, you know, I wanted to have a few beers when I wanted to have them. And I thought, you know, that I, I could always do it just because, you know, I could do anything. I thought, you know, if I was playing hockey, why can't I, you know, I thought I could do it. But th this addiction stuff was a lot more powerful than just me saying I, I don't want to do it, you know? Yep. And, and and Theo, on your end, you know, with, with what Kevin's sharing right there, it's it's it sounds like you, as far as, 
a player's relationship with help from the league, right? From a substance abuse standpoint, you almost, cause Kevin's saying, I didn't want to right at that point. I'm loving playing. I, I, I just want to keep the, I want to keep the ball rolling and keep it going. So is it a little bit like to get into the substance abuse program? Do you almost need a little push from the team trainer, the team doctor, no, you know, they, another. They, they hear rumors. Okay. Right? They hear rumors and you know, that's how they approached me was yeah, they're like, Hey, we're, we're hearing stories, you know, that we don't like to hear, you know, uh, we think he should, you know, and at that point I didn't think I had a problem because fuck, I was playing awesome. Right. Right. But around that time that Kevin and I were together in New York, my mental illness showed up like big time. Right. Where depression and anxiety and panic disorder really started to to show up, and you know, drinking and doing cocaine like suppressed, you know, the depression and the anxiety and all that stuff, right? So, you know, um, and like I said, you know, when I went to the doctor and said, "Hey, fuck, I don't know what the fuck is going on here. I'm I'm not doing well," and so what does he do? He gives me clonazepam which is a form of, you know, opioid, you know what I mean? So, so you know, using clonazepam and cocaine at the same time is a pretty good, you know, mixture as well. So they just added another, you know, uh, highly addictive drug for my repertoire. Wow. So, so you, you're, you guys, you overlapped with the Rangers at the same time. There was a stretch oh, yeah. and you guys were playing together. <laughs> what did we play two, two years together? Yeah. yeah, I think a couple, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and did you guys okay, so so this is an interesting question then. Do you guys know at the time as players that you're both using? Like is is that an, an and that might be a ridiculous question, right? Because you think of like the high school friends who are like in the same clique or they're not in the same clique, right? But like you got a team of guys there. You two both now looking back on it are really open and thank you. The world thanks you for being open about it. At the time, was there able to, a way to recognize it in each other? Was it because you were going out together to find it? Like what, what is the knowledge between the two of you at the time? I don't think we ever did any drugs together. Didn't we? I don't think we did any. We drank. I don't think we did. Like you would go your, you would go, you would disappear your way. I would disappear my way, and then we'd meet back up in the morning. (laughs) You know, (laughs) that's the truth. Yeah. So, but but you know that's such an look. That theme that you guys just shared is so important because here you are, you're playing for the same team, but yet you found your own ways to use that are comfortable for you. That then maybe does. Those ways don't highlight it to each other where even if you're both using it at the same time, you, you know, you might have been able to say, Kevin's using a little more than usual. I need to say something to him. But that's not even there for you guys to see. It reminds me, again, bringing Dwight Gooden back into the conversation. One of Dwight's realizations through therapy was when his sister was shot at, he was holding his baby nephew and he was um protecting his nephew from the bullets that were coming and goes in the bathroom with the nephew to hide well when he would use then after he was introduced to coke after that 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 Cy Young year he found every time he was using his safe place to go was to go to the bathroom so it wasn't for in his way it wasn't a social thing it was a I need to get my 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 head my headspace right. I need to get a peace of mind, and this is my way of kind of getting out of that moment and getting back to that high that you guys are talking about, uh, and away from the low. So, so you got it. Sounds like I mean, it, it's fascinating, like right? Like, is that the first time you've ever even been asked that question? Whether you both were using together in New York, and now to even realize that and look back on that, the, the thing is, is you don't want to drag your teammates into what you're fucking doing, like you know sort of on the dark side of life, like you just, you don't want to drag your teammates in with in with you on what, what the fuck's going on, right? Because there was no, like there was no sharing, there was no vulnerability, there was no, you know what I mean? Like, so, so yeah. It's amazing. I mean, yeah, it, it, it kind of is amazing that you never, you never like, you know, you know, we were friends and everything. We, you know, we hang out all the time. And like when, 
when the other stuff came in, we go the other way. Imagine, you know, it's like it's it's kind of weird. Yeah. Well, it's weird, but it, you know what, Kevin? It probably also it, it, it's so relatable. I'm sure to people who are hearing this episode because. It, it, and 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 the hope is the reason I brought it up is the hope is if you have a friend that you know is using, even if you're using at the same time, if it might feel weird for you to start the conversation with them, listen to these two guys right now who are saying, you know, looking back on it, you know, obviously it's not what I would have liked to have been doing. And and Theo's found his way towards therapy and. Kevin's now helping, you know, millions of people through his foundation. We'll talk about Power Forward is, you know, we're comfortable sometimes in, in you know, and I'm thinking of the alcoholic, right, is, is you know, some people think of the ha- alcoholic and they think of the guy or the gal who's out at the club and is the life of the party. But there's a lot of alcoholics who are on their couch late at night and it's them drinking themselves to sleep because they're in pain and they just want to be able to get through that night so they can wake up the next morning, right? There's nothing different from prescription drugs as opposed to legalized drugs. We're all managing either physical, emotional pain. That's it. That's why we gravitate towards, you know, that side of life is because our lives are unmanageable. And, uh, you know, the alcohol and the drugs fill a void. They, they suppress you know, emotional pain and suffering. And that's why, ultimately, that's why people, you know, do that kind of stuff. And so, you know, if you're getting written a prescription, you know, which is okay in, in, in the world, and drinking is okay in the world, the, at the end of the day, we're just managing pain. Whether that's physical or emotional pain, that's what you're doing, right? and Theo you know we talk about this once you get addicted then it becomes an obsession right that's all you're thinking about well and and society society decides what's acceptable right I think Darren made a really salient point last week when we were talking and he said you know the person who's addicted to food and high sugar right because it's not quote illegal like alcohol is not illegal it's okay, right? Because, and that's what that person holds on to. Now, you know, someone might argue, oh, well, sugar's not as bad for you, let's say, as a cocaine is. Maybe not, like, maybe not in the direct sense, but look at what sugar can do to fuck up your body. But for kids, right? sugar is their cocaine. Right. Right? And there's a synthetic version of cocaine that they give to kids. What's it called? Adderall or something? Like that's liquid synthetic cocaine that they're giving the kids. Basically, if you looked at it under a microscope, that's what it is. It's synthetic cocaine. Well, it is scary the way that the way that, you know, eight, nine year olds are being prescribed drugs like their candy um is 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 incredible. And and you know, we've we've had nauseum talked about, but it's important to mention again the pathology you know, the pathologizing, you know, maybe is the term of, of society and putting a label on everyone and saying, you have this, so you need this. And, and, you know, Theo, it's, it's important to bring that up because you get someone hooked on that thing that takes the pain away. And I, you know, one, one of the first times that ever really like struck me, I was at a, um, an event where there was a crisis counselor there and she was asking the kids, what do they do at home? You know, when they're feeling stressed, and they all go like this and they and they hold out their hand like they're looking at the iPad, right? And it's like we're 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 at a young age instead of dealing with what what is uncomfortable and finding breathing and finding doing meditation and finding talking and being in a group setting and connecting with other people, people might not, you know, people think oh the 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 iPad is bad because it stops you from learning or it stops you from from socializing. Yes, that's part of it. But it also trains your brain, just like sugar does, to say, this doesn't feel right. I'm going to go to this thing that's the quick fix to take me out of what I'm feeling so that now, you know, I'm not feeling that difficult thing anymore. And then it leads to, and this is why I'm bringing it up, Kevin, because 
do you think in, in like the chronology of, of, of everything that happened around 93, 94 is fascinating because you, you do the cocaine first, then, then you're in, in the hospital for the pain meds. Do you think if you never had the injury and never took the pain meds, even though you were introduced to the cocaine before, that you might not have gone back to the cocaine as much because the pain and the the I'm not playing right now. It sucks to be off the ice. My 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 face hurts. Do you think you might not have gone to it as much if you didn't then go to the pain meds during the hospital or, or and even have the injury? I, I'm, not, I'm not really sure. I think I think I was kind of leading. Um, uh, cocaine affected me in a certain way. You know, I, I think it was gonna stick with me until I found something, a solution, or I found some type of way to like, you know, I, I, I enjoyed it. I thought, you know, that wasn't a problem. Like, you know, obviously these things don't become a problem right away. Right. You know, the first day you do it, you know, it's, it, it changes to your mindset, but you don't think, I didn't know anything about addiction. I knew nothing about anything. You know, I didn't know I was going to get addicted to anything. I thought I was just having a good time and I was, you know, it was going to be okay. And life was going to be okay. But, you know, when I started to miss things and put things in perspective and not, not being able to do my job the way I was supposed to do. That's, you know, that's a problem, right? So now, but I think I never really knew about the pain, uh, pain medication being that I could take pain pills. You know, I didn't, I didn't know anything about drugs. I wasn't in that world. You know, I drank, I drank, and, you know, obviously I carried away with that sometimes, but and then the cocaine came in and that's what I liked, you know, because that's the only thing I tried. You know, I didn't know that this pain medication was going to be something I really didn't get hooked on opiates till I retired, which, you know, is, is you know, I got, I, my neck was bothering me in the gym. Someone gave me a couple of perks and I went 12, 13 years on opiate run, you know. But do, do you, I guess, ask another way. Do you think that you would have gone back to the cocaine as frequently had you not had the injury that you had with the collision? That's, that's tough. That's a tough one to say. I, I'm not really sure. You know, I'm not, I'm not positive, but. I knew I wanted to feel it again. I know I wanted to feel the cocaine again. You know, it wasn't like I wasn't ready to stop cocaine. You know, I wasn't like I got hurt and said, you know, I'm going to say I didn't really. The injury didn't affect the way my thinking was. My thinking was I was going to try cocaine again. You know. Yep. Okay. That's so. So back to the, those years, you guys are playing together. You know, and you gave the Jimmy Hayes, you know, um, you know, I, I share the Jimmy Hayes story. You guys gave a little more color on it back in the in the 90s and er, or even early 2000s on the recreational drug side of things. What was it not as popular? And, and I, I just don't know the history. Was it not as popular for drugs to be laced with fentanyl the way they are right now? Is this a yeah. more of a new fentanyl new, new. fentanyl like relatively new on the market? Right. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I mean, so so we're we're empathetic beings, right? And 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 we have these motor neurons in our brain. And Kev, this you know, I hope this doesn't bring up too much emotion, but you're a, you're a Boston loved guy. You got to play for the Bruins, you know, in your career. When you look at a story like you know Jimmy's, and you see what happened in a in a fairly let's call it you know innocent type of way, um. Do you, do, does it does it does it just eat away at you because you think I was there and and fentanyl wasn't around back then so thank God you know but but like does it bring you to that place where you're like I I could have been that oh yeah no question I would have been then you know I, like fentanyl has been around the five years I've been sober fentanyl has came in right like when I was getting sober you know it's kind of like and it wasn't. Um, if I was around and I was using, I wouldn't be speaking to you guys. I know that fentanyl oh, would have taken yeah. me too. But it takes everybody, you know. If you're going to play around with it, you're going to go out there and think you can beat this drug up. It's going to get you. It eventually gets you. You know, there's no, there's no happy endings to this fentanyl shit. You know, it's like there's no happy ending. You know, and never comes out. You never win. You know, it's it's, you know, it beats you up. It'll beat you up. It'll put you off. Whatever. You you'd be lucky to be alive you know like you know that that's when you if you're gonna play around with stuff all the time and you know i've yeah. had so many friends that you know people that i know acquaintances that you know just lost on this thing you know they just they, they tried it they keep going well and you know it doesn't work it's, it doesn't work you can't you cannot beat this thing you know and it's it's just too strong 
And it, look, the, the reason I bring that point up, you know, I, and and I thank you so much for the honesty of that answer to that question, Kevin. It's it's not it's not easy to put yourself in the shoes of you, you know, you you, you, you it's almost like a movie in a way because when you're a beloved figure in an area, and then you know something happens to the younger version of you, you, you got to take a step back and think about it. But I want everyone who's listening to hear that and say, look, you know, getting clean dealing with addiction is not an easy thing to do and there's long-term ramifications of use of anything right we just talked theo just brought up you know the the sugar and and how how kids from a young age and the adderall and getting people hooked that way but so whether it's a long-term effect in terms of cumulative or it's a short-term effect because of these free things that unfortunately happen like what happened with jimmy leaving behind a beautiful wife leaving behind two young kids the hope is that tragedy shakes people into addressing things. And I and, and in a way that is beyond the BS that we grew up with in school where the line was, and I know we've beaten up this line and, and, and made fun of how poor it was. Um, you know, Kevin and I grew up in the U.S., Theo didn't, but I'm sure he saw it from afar, was just say no. But it's like, just say no why what how why are people using what are they using for and and what we're sharing here as a group is you got three guys here who you know kevin's talking about his injury but he's also talking about chasing high and kevin i'm i'm you know we, we could probably go forever i'm sure there was shit in your life just like there is every human being in this fucking world that was painful that, that you lived through in life right Theo has shared multiple times his life and and what happened with his coach and what happened in his family and his father and you know alcohol and 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 gambling. I've shared all the traumas with my with my brother and my friends growing up. And so you got three guys who are saying the usage is a is a way to feel out of the pain from the stuff that you've been dealing with before. It gets you to a place that allows you to, to not feel those negative feelings. And, and the hope is if that is the understanding and you hear that, and then you're hearing from three guys here, again, my addiction was work, but I'll tell you right now, because Theo knows my story in terms of how dysfunctional I was, going to the well on anything too much is not healthy because it got me into a place where I was laying in a fucking bed for two and a half years, staring at the ceiling and just completely numb to the world, unable to function. You go to the well too often with something, it, it, it is that dark side that Theo was talking about. And so whether it's the short-term tragic loss of a, of a, of a Jimmy, whether it's, the, let's call it the midterm that I'm describing here of any of us in terms of Theo with the gun between his teeth that he talks about and where that got him after his career, whether it's Kevin talking about, you know, going back to prescription pills after his career was over, or whether it's the long-term that Theo gave a great example of you go to sugar enough times in the way that it gunks up your system and leads to things like diabetes and like cancer. We're hoping to shake people into why, if you're using right now, there's ways out. There's ways out to find the therapy. There's ways out to get the help. There's ways out to work with groups. It's why we do the work that we do. We don't want to see the outcomes. And I think the three of us sit here looking at each other almost feeling like we were given a gift by whatever spirituality people have by god by someone above by the universe that we survived what we survived so that we can help people right and and it bonds you as as individuals theo always says we collect people that's what we are we're a collection of people who want to collect other people to help them and to and to not have the same outcomes that unfortunately we see and unfortunately, um, we've experienced in some cases, just though not to the, the furthest extreme. Theo, when I when when I see your body language moving forward, I often know that you got something to say. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've been around this thing for long enough to know that when people are experimenting or taking something to the extreme, that they're just masking, you know past traumas or events that happened into their in their life that that caused them to be in emotional pain you know those negative emotions sadness anger resentment you know all those things and so 
If you don't work on those things, if you don't come to some sort of acceptance, um, you know, you're going to continue to go down that road. And, and, you know, the road for me started with alcohol and ended with, you know, with the gun in the mouth and in between is a whole bunch of alcohol and drug use and, you know, emotional uh, stuff that, that, you know, you, you eventually come to that place where you got to make a choice, make a decision. Am I going to live or am I going to die? You know? And for me, I wanted to live, but I had no idea how to live without, you know, all that stuff, you know? And so, you know, the process is trying to live one day at a time because that's all we got as addicts, right? We, we have one day at a time based on our spiritual condition. That's it. Uh, that at any point, doesn't matter how many years of sobriety you have, if you're not working a program, it's very easy to, you know, and I know during COVID, like I've heard stories of guys that have had 20 years of sobriety that have gone back out again, you know, so, you know, that demon and that dragon is always here on this shoulder talking to you and trying to get back in. And if, and if you're not working a good program, it's very easy to let that, you know, let that thing back in. So, you know, it's not an easy thing. It's not an easy deal, but, uh, um, but it all comes back to, you know what? I am numbing out from all my negative emotions because of, because of the trauma that I had. And it's as simple as that. It's not rocket science. It's very basic stuff. And the reason why people are gravitating towards same here is because we're talking about this stuff and nowhere else on the planet are people talking about, you know, their trauma, right? And we, we've said this, you know, pretty much on every show that, that this is a trauma based disease that needs, that needs other people relationship to overcome it. Yeah, I think it's important what Steve said about sobriety too. It's like, you know, I think the hardest thing is to have one foot in and one foot out, right? I think the decision you got to make is, you, you, you know, like you said, it's one day at a time, but you got to jump in there with two feet. You can't, you can't straddle that line and say, you know, I, I might want to get sober. You got to say, I want to get sober. And I'm going to do what I have to do to get sober because it's like, it's not easy, you know, and it's sitting right here all the time. You know, it's sitting right on your shoulder. And you go a certain place and it says, you know, let's go, you know, but if you're not working a program every day where you have something to fall back on, then it's easy to go back out. You know, you talk 20, 30 year guys going out because, you know, they get away from me and they get away from hanging around people like us that are in AA or in programs that have, have a program we work, but the hardest thing is to straddle that line. Jump in. If you want to get sober, you got to, you got to commit to it. You got to come in and you got to, you know, deal with the issues like they deal with our issues that, that, that are keeping us out there, you know, and you have to, you have to come in with two feet because it's not easy. And I've seen, I've seen the real world application of this, you know, Kevin and Theo put their stories out there. Theo and I have been on multiple calls together where someone just reaches out because they hear how open you guys are and they're wowed that Theo Fleury's getting on the phone with them to talk. You know, Kevin, I talk with your sister Kelly and, the pictures she has of you with people coming up to you after events. Like I want people out there to know this isn't like a bunch of people just shouting some things because, you know, it's nice to be in this space and feel like you're God and helping other people. You know, Kevin and Theo are in the trenches doing the work, actually helping people on a daily basis. And I share that not to pat them on the back. I share that so that you know if you're out there dealing with these challenges, you've got people who care. Because once you go through it, the the power of community in terms of connecting with people who are who are going through it themselves, it, and 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 we t- we say it's a five and five issue. So everyone's going through it; they're just going through it to different levels, and different people are 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 at different places, ready to ask for that help. But it, but even the term help has a has this negative connotation to it, like it's his weakness. Fuck the term help, then call it talking. Call it a group, call it peer to peer, call it just connecting, 
right? Like that's what it is. And that's why three guys getting on a phone right now, feeling a certain bond towards each other. That's a bond you can have with your friends when you open up with your family, with whoever you feel comfortable with, with us, literally write us a DM on our freaking social channels. We're happy to, 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 to talk with you. I mean, that's what we do. And so, you know, well, Eric, 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 at, at the core of any 12 step program, the, the basic core is service. That's it. And once you grasp onto the service part, that's the thing that keeps you sober, helping other alcoholics, helping other addicts achieve what you have already achieved. And that's ultimately what, what has kept me sober this whole entire time is the service work. But, but Theo, I just want, I want to expand on what you just said, because when we hear AA or we hear addict, I think people have this narrow definition in their mind. The person who goes to the bottle all the time, the person who goes to the pill all the time. The reason I'm sharing my experience is I was going to work all the time. If we truly believe this is a five and five issue, we ever people are going to but something you, but you could take the principles of the 12 yes, steps and I mean. apply them to your workaholic yes that's what i so, i just want yeah. to share that with everyone so yeah. that people because we're all trying it like the all, human condition is yeah. to try to avoid the pain the pain that you were talking about in some way shape or form don't automatically assume oh kevin and like you know you hear my story versus kevin and theo's story well eric didn't go to drugs what i went to was just as fucked up Right. And maybe it's not maybe drugs, maybe work's not laced with fentanyl. But but when you're fucking going in at early in the morning and staying until 1230 at night, rinse, wash, repeat, you're beating the shit out of your body, your brain body connection. And that's going to fall apart eventually. And so, you know, in ending here, what I wanted to do was, you know, I mentioned that that uh, Kevin's uh, sister, Kelly's a good friend and, and she runs the Power Forward Foundation with with Kevin um there's a gentleman theo and i have a connection funny enough because we both won this homers for heroes award from pete alonzo from the mets so it's it's nice uh that that in finding out about this there was a connection that this gentleman and i hopefully i'm saying his last name correctly paul venado um he was a crew member who was supposed to be on one of the planes that unfortunately flew into the 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 the, the world trade center one of the towers and he was off that day and as you could possibly imagine, as we're talking about pain, spent the last, you know, 15 plus years after that event happened, after 2011, excuse me, uh, 9-11 happened, 2001, it, you know, wrought in addiction. And to help those who are addicts to, to bring light to the situation, to honor his other crew members, the guy's friggin' pushing a cart, just like you see on the plane. He's pushing a cart from friggin' Logan Airport. He started already, and he's going to end up at um, Ground Zero um, on on nine eleven. And so, Kevin, anything you want to add to that? Because it's just friggin' incredible. Someone's doing that to bring attention to such important important topic. Yeah, he's a good buddy of mine. You know, it's funny. He, I remember about eight months ago. He's um, he's in AA. He's in the pro. He's a great guy. Like he's um, and he's like you know these these I mean these guys these stewardess and. The stewards, they didn't get recognized. Like, they're the first first responders. They're the ones that had to deal with these animals up there right off the bat, you know, like right right away, you know. they And they're not trained to do that stuff, you know. No one's trained up there when you're, you're a steward. It's, you know, a steward. They're, they're not trained to, to treat with animals like that, you know, with people slashing throats and all that stuff. It's not. So he wanted to recognize those. There are a lot of his friends, like he said, he worked that fight before. And a lot of his friends. And, I saw I went and saw him last night. He just got over the Rhode Island border. He's in Connecticut. So he left he left Logan Airport on Saturday. You know, he had a great little ceremony. There's a lot of families were there and they spoke to him about uh and, and he's you know, his neck is bald. He can't even move his neck right now because he's pushing that cot with his hands out and it's like, you know, he's 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 going through the we had he's going through the the process. You know, he's sixty two years old, it's two hundred and ten miles, you know. It's not it's not like an easy jaunt. So he's uh He's on his way. He's got a great attitude. It's unbelievable the support he's got out there on the street. Like all the people showing up, his kids showing up with signs, and like, yeah, it's been an amazing journey. It's, it's you know, he's doing a great thing, and he'll he'll get there, but he's he's got to pay for it. I'll tell you that much. 
<laughs> well, the, you can you can support what he's doing, what the what the Power Forward Foundation is doing at Paulie's Push, P A U L I E S Push dot com. Uh, pretty pretty incredible. Look, we all, you know, I think we're all used to having to do some perverse things to uh, to get attention because this space is not getting the attention that it it needs and deserves. And so for Paulie to do that, for him to be your friend, for the Power Forward Foundation to be involved in it is just just awesome. And and Kev, I'll, I'll just say this: you know, every time we talk, it feels like a closer connection. Um, you've had me when you had your show on a bunch of times. It's awesome to see the way that you and Theo are brothers. And you know, let's just keep doing this shit and keep helping people out because this is this is what it's all about, man. So I I really appreciate you coming on. No, it's awesome. I love seeing you guys. Love seeing Theo. He's a good man. I don't see him enough. I wish I could see him more. I know. I know. Fuck, we live. We live like we live like four thousand miles from each other. <laughs> like one one pilot comes to a six hour flight. It's not easy always to bump into each other. <laughs> but it's, it's always good. I always good seeing you guys. Well, let's let's maybe. Let's maybe try to do some more of these then if, if distance is the issue. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, video is not ideal, but it's better than better than not seeing each other. So another amazing week. Again, Kevin, can't thank you enough. Theo, as usual, awesome stuff. Eric Houston here. Uh, another episode of We're All a Little Crazy, and we will speak to you next week. You just heard We're All a Little Crazy, brought to you by the hashtag Same Here Global Mental Health Movement and the Hockey Podcast Network.